Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hello and welcome. I'm McKnight's Senior Editor, Kim Marcellus. This week marks the end of an era, maybe one we'd all like to forget. On May 11th, the COVID-19 public health emergency will officially end, and with it, the nursing home sector's crisis mindset may shift to one of more measured vigilance. But the PHE's end will certainly have some practical implications, too. To help guide us through those, today I'm welcoming Katie McDermott, a partner at New York's Morgan Lewis Law Firm. Welcome, Katie. Good morning, Kim, and good morning, everyone. Happy to be here today. Well, we appreciate your time and your insight. So we've obviously known for weeks now that the public health emergency would be coming to an end. But can you remind us or share with us what your biggest concerns are for skilled nursing providers as we enter this sort of new phase of operations during COVID? Sure, uh, and happy to do so. Uh, you know, Kim, we were helped because on May 1, CMS issued sort of a memorandum to address the vaccine mandate and a number of requirements. So there is some guidance that's actually issued um, on what is going to be most impactful probably to skilled nursing providers. If I had to look at it from a big picture perspective, I would say harmonizing the federal and state requirements and timetables because we still have circumstances where some of the uh, waivers may extend or to 2024. We have some that are ending sooner than we thought, right at May 11. And, you know, what remains mandatory and discretionary? Uh, for example, do you still have to give notice to families um, when there's been three or more COVID incidents in, in a facility? So the, the CMS memorandum does address that. And I think that's a big issue, just administratively, what we call the administrative burden. The other thing is language um, from the regulators that providers must resume compliance with the regulations as written. So I don't think that was so easy before the pandemic, um, but it's going to be the expectation of, for regulators in the survey process, you know, May 11 uh, on. So how do providers normalize get back to normalizing their documentation and resource uh, procedures to comply with regulatory requirements that are now back in effect, essentially. And some of the big issues there will be, of course, eligibility for skilled care, because that wasn't something that necessarily had to be carefully documented during the pandemic. Um, and then third, and I want to talk about this uh, a few times in our session, scrutiny of COVID practices. The, the um, the 2020 hindsight issue. And so it'll be so important for pro providers to assure retention of information and documents to show how they complied with COVID waivers and mandates, particularly in infection control uh, and prevention. Okay, you mentioned the W word. I think waivers have been a huge factor for providers during this and also um, some of the enforcement discretion that you just started to hint at. Can you talk a little bit more about like maybe three bullet points of uh, things that are going away that you see as being, um, you know, things that affect daily operations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the admissions process, as I alluded to, the three-day, you know, hospital stay is back in effect and the careful assessment of the need for skilled care and documenting that. So just that entire admissions process is back to pre-pandemic requirements. And so that'll be very important to establish. Um, other things that are sort of interesting are 
you know, the provider licensure and telehealth, you know, to what degree can that continue? And it appears that there's going to be some continuing flexibility for out-of-state licensure and the use of telehealth, because that was a big issue, uh, obviously, during the pandemic. And seemingly small things, but they've always been large for deficiencies. Emergency preparedness requirements are back mm-hmm. with an expectation of full-scale exercises occurring. And when now the surveyors will be looking for that. And that's always been a very, you know, ripe area for, for deficiencies. And the other thing that's super interesting, and again, this doesn't seem obvious, but resident roommates and grouping, that was a huge issue. And I dealt with a lot of state attorney general subpoenas and investigations during COVID. And there was a lot of conflicting advice uh, at the federal and state level on what to do when there was an outbreak in a facility. So now, you know, they're going back to advising on uh, more normal grouping and transfer issues and resident rights related to those issues and notices to residents and family about, you know, where folks are going to be placed and, uh, or even a transfer or a discharge. So we're back to, you know, having less flexibility on those particular issues. And remind me, Katie, on the room grouping, did that mean even if I was just moving a resident who had been exposed or tested positive uh, to a different room on the same floor, under uh, the waiver, I did not have to notify family, but after May 11th, I will have to notify family? You will have to notify family on groupings, changes to groupings, changing to roommates, transfers and discharge. So there's less discretion for public health reasons to undertake those assignments. Now, that may not be a big impact because the facility already had procedures for that, but I think it's important to identify that as a survey area. So to the extent there was any waivers of these notice requirements, you can expect surveyors to be looking for the paperwork. And that's how I look at a lot of where we're going is CMS wanted to reduce administrative burden during the pandemic. They don't want to do that anymore. They want the paperwork to be completed and the requirements to be evident for compliance. And so just that room assignment alone really pinpoints to me a major issue that, that you have to know who, who is going to be doing these things. Like you said, you may have had a policy to do this and a way to do this before COVID, but if you haven't been doing it for three years, it seems that some of these things, it's just an issue of, is it going to fall through the cracks? You, you might have great uh, plans to make it happen, but you really have to, I think, assign someone and, and know what it's going to look like starting on May 12th. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, people will be feeling their way through this. What is striking to me um, is that the states are issuing memos and the feds are issuing memos and somebody at the local level, you know, boots on the ground has to harmonize the requirements and the deadlines because it's not all in one place. And it's not always obvious. So I think that's just, you know, I defend um, providers when they get subpoenas and when they get, uh, you know, questions from the regulators on how they're complying uh, with regulations. And I think we're back to just being very careful about assuring uh, compliance with the regulations as written, which is exactly how CMS has described it. 
And I think from the way you presented this, I may know the answer to the next question, but of, of the bullet points you just provided, which do you feel, uh, which of the, the waivers or exemptions going away, or do you feel are going to be most impactful after the PHE ends? Well, I, I, I do think if I had any theme, it's traps for the unwary, because, for example, there isn't a vaccine mandate uh, but there is a requirement to offer education and access uh, to the vaccine. There isn't a requirement to report to the family or the or the resident when there has been a, you know three or more uh, positive tests of COVID. But that's not totally gone away. It's part of enforcement discretion. CMS has signaled that yes, uh, we're not going to get rid of that until December 2024, but we'll exercise enforcement discretion from May 12th till now. And there's still reporting required until December of 2024. So I, I think, again, just sorting through this is a, a pretty significant administrative challenge to making sure you're compliant. And my biggest concern, looking at it from an enforcement perspective, and you know, providers may could disagree with me, but I look at this from a risk management perspective, the concept of infection uh, control and prevention is as big as ever. So to the extent there were CDC requirements and CMS requirements to manage information um, and logistics around the pandemic, I'm not sure they're totally going away. And I think that also they're gonna be just a huge area uh, for survey deficiencies and criminal prosecutions, as we saw in the Massachusetts case against the Veterans Home. Um, the indictment of the uh, administrator and the medical director has been upheld uh, by the appellate court. And it's a very extraordinary decision. But that's why I think we're in a, we've really entered into an era post-pandemic of traps for the unwary, if you're not really well-resourced to handle the administrative uh, issues. So let me ask you a little bit more about the vaccine mandate then. As of right now, you know, CMS is saying that they are going to begin the process of canceling that mandate. We don't have a drop dead date, even though they're connecting it to the end of the PHE. Um, it's a little mm -hmm. uncertain if that will be May 12th. Um, aside from, you know, trying to get staff vaccinated and keep those rates up, can you talk a little bit about some of the risks that might be associated? If there isn't a mandate, um, you mentioned now criminal and you mentioned enforcement, but also it, does that open up to some civil lawsuit risk for facilities that mm -hmm. don't do a good job keeping it up? Yes. I mean, there's always been, this industry is always, uh, had a very significant uh, tort liability exposure related to care. And it's, it's just specific to the industry because you're taking care of, you know, vulnerable population 24-7. So as a practical matter, there's always been that risk. What I think the risk we have today is, is one, managing the requirements that aren't totally going away and assuring that state and federal are harmonized but then also the hindsight is 2020 mentality that, well, you should have done this during COVID. And I'm not really sure there's going to be a fog of pandemic defense uh, as much for tort liability. So I think that the tort issues are going to be uh, a significant issue to risk manage. And the best way to risk manage is to assure that you're meeting these requirements. 
Okay. So I want to give you a chance to, to pinpoint anything that we haven't already pulled out in this discussion. I mean, certainly there's so many factors, but what else do you want owners and operators to know about this transition period and um, returning to more normal conditions? And I'm doing air quotes around normal. <laughs> yeah, probably a good way to look at it. Um, well, I think the industry, you know, CMS has adopted a policy of enhanced enforcement for certain issues. And infection control, as I noted earlier, is a big one. And this is where C- CMS and CDC um, may not be exactly on the same page. Um, for example, CMS may say you don't have to give notice to the family, but the CDC recommends counseling visitors that there's infectious disease outbreaks and to really remain in place with notification. So there really is, uh, I I don't know if I'd call it a gray area as much as, uh, you know, erring on the side of, of managing risk by having continuing practices during the pandemic into the post pandemic era, such as notice. And I think a lot of facilities give notice to visitors anyway of, of disease outbreaks, but you know, how much notice should continue. The pandemic ushered in really some great practices in, in the um, post-acute industry, you know, telehealth, you know, flexibilities on provider licensure, um, important data reporting that'll probably continue. But I think overall, getting back to the regs as written is going to be the biggest challenge. And some of those practices of notice and transparency with families and residents are probably good to continue whether they're required or not. And so we'll see where it goes. I I do feel we're going to be in a period of scrutiny of practices under COVID, and we'll be in that historical hindsight um, situation for a while. But I'm not sure that's different than in any other industry at this point. I just think this particular uh, sector has more risk when you're taking care of a vulnerable population than perhaps others. Absolutely. And and I think the further we get away from the very beginning of COVID, the more uh, attorneys, families, maybe even judges forget about that confusion. Like you said, the the fog um, that was happening in those early days. And and that's just not going to hold up anymore because it became very clear through all these different guidances you pointed to, state, federal, CDC, CMS, that we know what to do now for the most part. And um, that excuse is is gone. So great commentary. Appreciate, like I said, the, the insight and the experience you bring to this. That's uh, out of time for today, but obviously we'll be talking about this and and seeing how things go after May 12th. For today, this is Kim Marcellus with McKnight's. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.